welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction hello this is avril danchak i'm talking about talc module 00 if you are new to this. This is the chapter number 10, which is called Talc Skills for Telephone, Video and Messaging Consultations. Clinicians often ask for help with specific consultation problems or issues. Examples could include how to break bad news or how to speed up my consultations or how to say no to unrealistic expectations. One of the most commonly asked questions is, what skills do you need for so-called remote consultations? Now, remote consultations don't sound very cuddly or friendly to me, and I prefer to think of them as convenient consultations. And when I'm talking about this, this covers things like telephone consultations, video consultations, and to some extent, written things like messaging, although that's not covered in detail in this discussion. But in all of the special circumstances I've been describing, the content and context of the consultation is variable. The good news is that the process of the consultation in all these special circumstances is pretty much the same and uses the core skills of the consultation that are covered fully in talc modules 1 to 6. In telephone and video consultations, these core skills will make for effective interactions However, they need to be used with greater intensity, increased attention and a very focused awareness of what is needed at the time. Most of the chapters in the TALC resources make specific reference as to how the skills in question will be applicable on the telephone and how they can be used in remote consultation situations. When we're thinking about remote consultations, we need to consider what types are available, what purposes can a remote contact fulfil, do remote consultations alter the pattern of demands for services? And how are the skills of the TALP modules used to ensure that remote consultations are effective and safe? Finally, I'm going to reflect about what might be irreplaceable about face-to-face consultations. The accompanying PDF covers all these issues in detail. Firstly, what do we mean by a remote consultation? I've already indicated that any interaction between a clinician and a patient when they're not actually face-to-face in a room with each other can be considered as a remote consultation. The main types available in most primary care settings at the moment are messaging, telephone or video consultations, although this may be different in other kinds of settings such as secondary care. Messaging, which uses a variety of applications such as Ask My GP, email and so on, These are interactions that take place purely through messaging and they can be very helpful for concrete matters such as prescription queries, requests for information or for the patient to feedback follow-up information to a clinician after an outpatient assessment or trial of treatment, for example. The skills needed should include a written version of active listening, in other words, feeding back where relevant to ensure the patient knows they've been properly understood, building the relationship by expressing empathy in an appropriate way and mutual clarity about any safety netting arrangements. 
it's dubious whether detailed diagnostic and follow-up work can be done solely in writing. The next thing to consider is telephone consultation, which could be initiated by the clinician, but is also often requested by the patient, and video consultations, which are usually initiated by clinicians and occur in a variety of contexts. This chapter is mainly about the skills for telephone or video consultation. These should still be full consultations with the same structure and process as in any face-to-face interaction. So, what other purposes can such a contact fulfil? There are many non-face-to-face contacts which are not actually consultations, and it's important to think about this clearly. For example, a telephone call may be used for simple signposting. For example, a patient may ask a GP or admin colleague for an appointment regarding treatment for an acute dental problem. They need to be signposted to a suitable dental service. That is not really a consultation. Some telephone contacts are about triaging the patient to the most suitable service or the most suitable person within a local network or practice. Triage is actually a complex task which often requires considerable expertise to do safely and is often done by a senior experienced on-call clinician. Triage is also not a consultation. The consultation follows triage sometimes but not always in the same contact. So for example if the patient briefly describes their problem and it's very clear they'll need to be seen face to face The consultation really begins when that patient meets the relevant clinician. But if a clinician talking to that person says, shall we talk about this on the telephone, I think we're going to be able to deal with this here and now, and the patient agrees, then that becomes a consultation. In many circumstances, it may be very helpful to make sure that the patient knows that the signposting will result in them having a telephone or other type of an appointment for a full assessment, Otherwise, they may feel fobbed off. And if doing triage, the clinician in question should clearly signal how they intend to deal with the problem. Is this a triage situation? For example, from what you've said, I think we need to arrange for you to come and see whichever particular colleague today, and they will do a complete assessment of the problem. Alternatively, if the triage has become a telephone appointment, the conversation will go much more along the lines of, From what you've said so far, I think we could really help you with this telephone appointment so that we can clarify all the things we're going to talk about. Many patients feel that an appointment is a term only used for face-to-face contacts. Clinicians can help to loosen this concept by explicitly referring to telephone appointments when a full telephone consultation rather than just signposting is actually anticipated. Many patients greatly appreciate the flexibility and ease of access of messaging or telephone consultations. However, the ease with which a messaging query or request for a phone call made also reduces the opportunity costs of contacting a service, and this may increase the use of that service beyond what can be easily managed. In contrast, those who are so-called digitally disenfranchised may feel excluded and find it very hard to access services if they are only delivered by telephone or video. This is where people don't have internet access or do not have good telephone access either. 
This can lead to patients walking into reception when others might consider this inappropriate, for example in pandemic conditions. Or they may call the service at different times, driven more by access to scarce telephone credit, different waking hours or the demands that addictions create. There's another way in which remote consultations may actually fuel demand for services. Some contacts are actually triggered by what has been called failure demand. This concept was coined by a systems analyst, Professor John Seddon. He terms value demand as the kinds of requests that a service is designed to deliver and indeed should deliver. In health contexts, this would be the provision of a diagnosis, the ongoing management and planning of care. Failure demand is quite different to value demand. Failure demand occurs as a result of the service in question having previously failed to complete its purpose in an earlier encounter. And here are some examples to make this concept clearer. Let's say a patient has a telephone appointment to discuss their new symptoms of urinary infection. The clinician fails to assess the full agenda of the patient so near the end, the patient says, I also need to ask about my asthma review that I accidentally missed. And can I ask you if you've had a letter from the consultant I called two weeks ago? It can be tempting at this point to say something like, please call back, we've run out of time. Please book another appointment. This approach creates failure demand and is best dealt with by proper setting and analysing of the patient's agenda at the start of the consultation. See TALC Module 1, Chapters 5 and 6. Signs in the waiting room saying one problem per consultation can have a similar effect and actually generate larger failure demand. Here is another example. An elderly patient is unwell and their carer thinks they need a home visit to assess this and also to review their ongoing heart failure, leg swelling and a rash. A telephone consultation is arranged and a prescription is arranged for a possible UTI, which is supposed to be sent to the patient's usual pharmacist. No one tells the carer when it will be ready. She calls at the pharmacist who says, it's not been sent here, I think you have to collect it at the doctor's. She calls the receptionist who says, I'll check with the duty doctor after their meeting at, four, at 1400. The carer calls again but then can't get through. She calls again and finds the prescription is ready, collects it and get it dispensed. The pharmacist then says, I'm just checking. I thought your mother might be allergic to nitrofurantoin, according to our records. More phone calls follow. Most of this demand on admin and clinician's time is due to a failure to get it right for the first time. Moreover, the patient's wish for a home visit was not discussed, so the carer calls again 24 hours later. So there's some more demand. Failure demand is wasteful of time, which is the most precious resource we have. There's more information about failure demand uh, in the PDF that accompanies this podcast. There's also an interesting discussion of how one practice greatly reduced the number of telephone calls to the front desk, which is listed in the PDF. Increased calls on clinicians' time are also related to the way in which telephone calls can turn into transactions rather than ongoing relationships. It can be easy to do what's minimally safe, but this sometimes defers actually solving the main problem, which crops up again at another consultation down the line. This is like kicking a can down the road 
which defers and even increases demand as patients become more anxious when their problem is not fully dealt with. Everyone working on systems in healthcare needs to be fully aware of the pitfalls of failure demand, which can be designed out of systems to everybody's benefit. Now let's turn to the skills of the TALP modules and think about how that they can ensure that remote consultations are effective and safe. The core skills of consulting effectively are dealt with in the TALP modules 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 and 6. In most chapters, there are specific comments about how the skills described relate to remote consultations. In this chapter here, I'm going to discuss this in a little bit more detail. If the situation is complex enough to require the skills of Module 5, TALC Advanced Skills for Effective Explanations and Planning of Personalised Care, it's very likely that a face-to-face -face discussion will be required. Some follow-up by a known and trusted clinician could occur in more complex situations, but this requires personal experience and knowledge of the patient and considerable consulting expertise. A remote consultation should also be well-structured and complete, so see Module 7, Talc Skills for Managing Time Effectively, for more discussions about creating an effective structure, which often leads to more effective use of time. So let's think about Module 1, Talc Skills for Beginning Consultations Effectively, when consulting on the telephone. The skills of preparation, which are outlined in Talc Chapters 1 and 2 of Talc Module 1, are even more important when consulting on the telephone. Preparing the notes and the technology is essential. The kit must be working properly and clinicians should be familiar with how to use video or hands-free telephone arrangements. A quiet private room is needed because extra concentration is required on the telephone and the clinician needs to be psychologically focused and ready using the skills of TALC Module 1 Chapter 2, Can You Go Home With Energy To Spare? When opening the consultation, it's essential to ensure that the patient is free and safe to talk, not driving, for example, and to introduce anyone else who's in the room with the clinician. Find out who's with the patient and whether that's appropriate. Non-verbal skills, such as using an appropriate speed and warmth of speech, can help to build rapport, and using language appropriately can clarify the purpose of the call. Is this a telephone appointment? or a call to see who is best placed to help. Use the agenda setting skills described in TALC Module 1, Chapter 5, How is a consultation like a business meeting? And that will ensure that nothing's missed out. What about Module 2, TALC Skills for Building Effective Relationships? Building a relationship with the patient is even more important when you're consulting on the telephone or video and is one of the key elements that prevent consultations becoming mere transactions. A dispassionate transactional approach can actually increase a patient's needs for follow-up appointments, because transactions are less likely to meet a patient's needs, particularly if clues and cues are ignored, or because a real patient's real concerns or expectations are not properly elicited. Expressing appropriate empathy, exploring concerns and feelings, and being clear about the clinician's concern for the individual may only take 30 to 40 seconds time during a consultation, but has very long-lasting effects. I'm going to turn to Module 3 now, Skills for Effective Information Gathering. Information gathering needs to be well-structured, sensitive, and to use all the active listening skills of TALP Module 3. 
Encouraging phrases such as go on or tell me the whole story, combined with active listening skills and effective summarising, will go a long way to reassure patients that they are being fully assessed when on the telephone. Begin with open questions and open directed questions. Close specific questions may be needed to clarify detail, but care should be taken not to close down the consultation with excessive use of directed closed questioning. It's vital to pick up clues and hints about things that are left unsaid or only hinted at, as there's often crucial information here. And that may be revealed by hesitations or patients saying things like, well, mm, not really, which may indicate there's more things to be said. The patient's thoughts about their problems, their concerns and their expectations must be elicited skillfully with the use of empathic statements and active listening skills. Module 4, Talc Essential Skills for Explanations and Planning of Personalised Care, are really important when using the telephone or video. When consulting in these settings, many of the subtle human communication clues of tone of voice, facial expression and body language are considerably weakened. This means that the clinician needs to express concern verbally and more explicitly. The summarising skills of Talc Module 4, Chapter 1 become even more important. Summarising the facts and the patient's feelings about those facts must be included in an effective summary. This ensures that the patient really knows they've been understood fully. Explanations need to be broken into manageable chunks with frequent checking of the patient's responses. The patient's ideas and concerns need to be elicited again in respect of any explanations or proposed plans to ensure that clinicians' and patients' ideas are suitably congruent. This is essential for patient safety as well as for patient satisfaction. Using appropriate and positive language can allow for helpful framing of any explanation or plan. Sometimes it's appropriate to give bad news remotely, especially in urgent or serious situations, and the clinician would need then to be sure that the patient is appropriately supported in the way that they prefer and follow-up arrangements need to be absolutely clear. Expressions of concern and clarity about the clinician's role in supporting a patient where the, the situation is a serious one are feasible and increase safety. This is covered in detail in Talc 5, Chapter 6. Collaborating to produce a shared management plan will ensure clinical safety, because if the patient hasn't collaborated in the plan, it's unlikely that it will be completed successfully. The skills of TALC Module 4, Chapter 7 are clearly relevant here. Now let's turn to Module 6, TALC Skills for Effective Endings to the Consultation. Summarising and agreeing the plan with complete clarity about the next steps for patient and clinician help to ensure effective endings when consulting by telephone or video. Safety netting skills are of very great importance here and they need to be personalised to the unique needs of the individual patient, not being generic or vague. The closing stage of a consultation provides further opportunities to cement the clinician-patient relationship. And then when the patient says, thank you so much for speaking to me, I feel so much better now we have a plan, the clinician will be satisfied also, and possibly even energised by the consultation. I'd finally like to reflect a little bit about what is irreplaceable about face-to-face -face consultations. Skilled telephone and video consulting can achieve much, 
But there is so much more to healthcare than simple accuracy about diagnosis or successful treatment of disease. Healthcare is always a human interaction. We can recall the motto that informs the Royal College of General Practitioners, which is conscientiar caritas. This means something like science with caring. When facing illness, long-term conditions, mental health problems and the prospects of disability and even death, we all need to be accompanied on those journeys with other human beings who will care about us as well as providing care for us. And while telephone and video offer many benefits in terms of the time that's saved because there's less travelling, for example, and because there's flexibility of access, and because telephones, messaging and the internet are, are now a daily reality, but not everyone has access to this technology. And many patients who do feel they're not much good on the telephone, and most clinicians get their greatest satisfaction from face-to-face -face interactions. Their clinical skills can then be combined with a personalised approach. Patients who do not have the skills or the resources for telephone or video consulting must not be disadvantaged. Those with disabilities that impede video or telephone consultations, those in poverty who do not have credit or electronic devices, the technophobes or the abused person who needs to be seen away from home must all be properly and personally cared for. A sympathetic glance, an encouraging pat on the hand, an empathetic expression in the eyes cannot be replaced and are very difficult to reproduce in remote situations. Clinicians can take pride in the skills that make face-to-face -face consulting so effective and build on these skills throughout their careers. These skills can be used on the telephone and video as well. The technology can serve us well, and yet we must ensure that we do not end up simply serving the technology. The care of our patients is our first concern, whether in person or with technological assistance. And where possible, we should be using our consulting skills effectively, face-to-face, -face, as well as on the telephone. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.